Hello, everyone. I am Jason Hobbs, and I have my co-host with me, one Jose Lacario. Hello. And the Hoff, Eric Hoffman. Pleasure to be here with you all. This is Hex Talk, Jose. <laughs> Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> all right. Uh, I don't. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> It's the song you hear in every elevator you've ever been in. They just play oh. the girl from Ipanema over and over again. Uh, well, I'm in the Midwest. It's actually a real song, turns out. They don't have elevators in the Midwest. Yeah, they we don't have elevators elevator. here unless... The whole state's the one green. floor. They don't put them in the green elevators. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is a, to- a role-playing, tabletop role-playing podcast show about whatever we say. No, seriously, about hexes, I believe. Eric, what do we want to talk about first? Uh, well, we usually start off the episode with a talk about our cooperative hex crawl campaign, <laughs> Forlorn Shores, which, as it turns out, was aptly named because it was a hopeless venture. Um, uh, I think since Sex Talk 7, uh, we did play a few times, but it's been so long, I don't really remember what happened. I know we added uh, two new DMs with two new regions, and they each ran, uh, so Paul Wolf and Thaddeus Moore. Um, both took over a region and ran a few games, but uh, uh, kind of things uh, petered out there around the beginning of the school year. Yeah, and I really, to me personally, I think uh, the Forlorn Shores campaign was affected six, seven, maybe eight months early by coronavirus. We just knew we could, it was a sense of the impen- and it kind of just took away from the mood of the game. Yeah, so we. The whole, whole region was depopulated. Yeah, so it was bad. It started actually in Forlorn Shores. That's right. So. You can't you can't explore hexes under quarantine. So, well, I have to say, Cody was kicking it for a while and drawing everyone in, and it seemed like a lot of games were going on. Um, I don't know. I wonder if those exploration rules had something to do with it. The game got a little different with low hanging fruit. They were fantastic rules that are unimpeachable. So I don't, I don't <laughs> know what you're talking about. <laughs> The players just finally found the rules. They were there from day one. Um, yeah, it took a while for the exploits. To I think what else we just attracted players who enjoyed exploring uh, instead, of, <laughs> instead, of, instead of following the railroad to the tumulus. <laughs> chew, chew. <laughs> but anyway, so what we did, uh, the, I think the only thing we have all played together relatively remotely uh, around hex crawls is the Chesapeake campaign that I've run. I think I run it once a year, whether it needs it or not, for three years, uh, for two ep- for two episodes, and uh, so we all played in that. Um, it's a, a pseudo historical uh, game set in the 1600s and exploration of the Chesapeake Bay region, uh, which is where I'm from. So it's a uh, kind of like all the places I've been and history of that, but it's weird fantasy using lamentations rules and wonder and wickedness for spellcasters, which. Ne- Necropraxis, isn't that Brandon or Brendan, somebody from Google? I think Brendan S. from Google. Yes, that? it is. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a really cool book that basically just takes all spells and makes them first level spells. And and then they just gain in power from there. So it's a, it's a, it's a different take on typical Vancean uh, magic advancement. Yeah, that was a that's a pretty fun campaign, and you use some interesting things uh, for the mapping and stuff that we hadn't used before. I'm still not sure how you do the circles. So, roll twenty, guru, who 
I mean, you're the only other guy I know who just leaves your Roll20 running 24-7 and has about 25,000 hours on Roll20. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Actually, I think uh, uh, Paul's wife is beats me. She is still in my Keep on the Borderlands. <laughs> She's still logged into my Keep on the Borderlands campaign in which she played one session five years ago. <laughs> she's And she's still there. So, uh, yeah. You just stop in there once in a while to say hi to Brenda. I, you know what it is, is I have all these maps in there that I go and steal for other campaigns and I open it up to do the transmographer to find out what the name of it is. And there she is. <laughs> She's just waiting she, to play. she left the computer logged in somewhere five years ago and they got covered in sand and it's just running. <laughs> drives are whirring still <laughs> waiting for her turn. Awesome. Yeah, we had. It's true, we haven't played that much, but we do have some important stuff to talk about today. And uh, all the fans of Hex Talk have been endlessly plaguing me with their questions about when another one is. Little do they know how bad it would be. And that's why we've... No, I'm just kidding about that part too. So let's talk about this main topic. Eric. Sandbox-ready products. So we talk a lot about uh, how to build a, a sandbox and run a hex crawl and and, and the themes and, um, you know, one thing people the almost all the questions we get are always, you know, I, it's too much for me to do. I don't, you know, I don't know how to start, where do I begin? And so, um, we've talked throughout the whole podcast about different things that are published that can be used for it, but we thought we would devote a whole, um, a whole episode to the things that we know about that are out there that are published today or available today, wherever, whether they're free or pay that are kind of suitable for using in a hex crawl sandbox campaign and the, the shortcuts you can go over to getting them. And I do it a lot. I always drop, you know, have that stuff at least in my back pocket for like random stuff that might pop up on encounter tables. Um, so we were going to go through a lot of the stuff that's out there today. And then also why kind of what makes a good, uh, what makes a good product to drop into a, a, a sandbox. And I think I think that's one of the big things, like you mentioned, that people have an issue with is uh, the idea of a sandbox is good, but you have to put toys in that sandbox. And it's it can be daunting for people to come up with enough content so that the players can actually experience a sandbox the right way. And a lot of products are too specific to the setting or deviate from uh, standard rules or from the standard model of how monsters might work. So it becomes very hard to drop those into campaigns without changing too much. And again, now you're doing additional work to make these things fit. So uh, it can be a, a challenging thing to find a product that can work uh, out of the box, so to speak, uh, for a hex, a hex crawl campaign. Yeah, you're you're getting there and you're uh, talking about the right things. Do we want to go over this list that we've prepared uh, of what exactly would be a good product for a drop-in, um, she I don't content right. Yeah, that's it. So, what do we got here, Eric? You want to talk about this stuff? Yeah. So the main thing is, that if you read most of the stuff out there today, it's 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 a work unto itself, right? It's it's like the the tyranny of creativity, right? Everybody feels that they need to be so creative that this sixty-four, thirty-two, whatever page thing that they publish. Um, is so unique and it's never been done before that it makes it useless to anybody running a campaign. Um, 
it's so unique, it's not going to fit into your world. If your world's unique, it's even doubly hard. And so what I found was that I always had to take a look at these products that look cool and read through them and, and, and figure out how to reconstruct them because they'd have crazy things in there that didn't exist in my world, you know? And I always pick on Dwimmer Mount um, about this because what I, when I finally got that dungeon after the, um, I wasn't a Kickstarter backward, but whenever it was done and I read it and, you know, I'd been reading about it on Grognardia for years and was really excited. And then, you know, it had some really specific things about how dwarves were completely different in that world than they are in every other generic fantasy. And I read that and within the first, I don't know, 20, very shortly when you get in there, you find out how different they are. And I won't spoil it, but and it's very cool, but it's very different. And if and you can't just drop that into a campaign world where the players have never encountered that before. And then I thought to myself, well, this is a pretty thick book. It's a huge mega dungeon. How much more in here is going to be so disruptive to what to a regular uh, campaign that I really can't use it and that I just never have? So unless you're going to run products like that as as the, the campaign itself, um, they become pretty useless to run in your own campaign, in my opinion, most of them. There are some exceptions we'll talk about later. but um, And so what I find is that most of the products that I buy today are that that follow that traditional mold are just inspirational only. There might be a room you can pull out and you know it gets the juices flowing to create your own stuff, but it's really not usable. I was going to say yeah like traps or whatever so many of them are just uh it's a lot of products feel like they're more for reading than they are for actually bringing to the table especially in a, a hex crawlish type of situation. I've run Dwimmer Mount uh one or two sessions and it is a good product to it it's an excellent product if you want to run it like Eric said as its own product trying to I couldn't see trying to integrate it into a campaign uh, because there are just as he mentions the dwarves is a big one because that's that affects all the way to character creation was which is even further than a lot of products sometimes stretch so yeah that's a big product there's like anomalous subsurface environment there's a bunch of products like that that have a lot of flavor. They ooze with it, but it would be really hard to use anywhere else because of the conceits they create. Um, but I, like I say, if you, I'm a person who enjoys running another person's creation like that, so I can use a product like that as itself whole cloth. Uh, Eric is much more of a creator, so I can see where he's constrained by products like that because it's somebody else's vision that doesn't fit with his own. Yeah, well, you're not going to use that in a in a hex crawl situation, which is really specifically what we're talking about. I'm not going to put Eric down on what he can or can't run because I mean, right? I don't know. That that would just be mean. <laughs> I can run anything ever made. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we're talking about is products that are table ready. It's nice to be able to not have to do a ton of prep getting this product ready. Um, what else? Oh, good vanilla. We talk about good vanilla on here a lot, but then every time I mention it anywhere, they're always like, what are you talking about? Or if you gotta you're- spread the word, man. So that was uh Gabor Lux came up with that. And I think beyond Fummel Hall, his zine, I think, I think that's where I first saw it. But anyway, it's this, uh, I always had this concept in my head about what I like to see in a product and it never put in, that's a perfect name to put to it. And what he means by it is, Stuff that is vanilla enough to be put into anyone's campaign, but has interest within itself, right? So 
again, it doesn't change things through creativity like those dwarves again, or, you know, a giant spire in the middle of a vast city is, you know, what's that? There was a campaign, Tolis or something like that. So there's no conceit like that that totally is dependent on the content underneath of it. The content itself is interesting. So you might have interesting encounters with just orcs and skeletons, but the encounters themselves are interesting. It's in an interesting locale or there's an interesting uh, consequence to um, the situation where it's not really dependent on the monsters or even the adventure. Um, and, and really location based is another good, you know, uh, kind of word for that. Um, that doesn't take these large conceits into uh, into consideration. And so it's it's kind of vanilla fantasy in that it's the fantasy from the basic books or core rule book would be another way of putting it. Um, and then interesting things done with that, right? Innovative and interesting things done with that, as opposed to just saying, oh, this is, it's 30 new, there's not a single core rule book monster in here. Well, is that really interesting or creative? I mean, not really. I mean, everybody who runs a campaign... <laughs> in my opinion, is a creative person, right? If you just, just sitting down and saying, I'm going to DM means you got some creative juice. And I don't think that's where people need help. Where they need help is the work part, not the creative part. Yeah, this is a good line that you put on here. When when you're, <laughs> let the creative ideas come from the creator or the GM, but do the work for them. And uh, there's not a lot of products that do that. We tried to list some out, I believe. Uh, we'll save, we'll talk about the other, I think one that people always say is Stonehell by Michael Curtis, right? Because of why do you think that is Eric? Why is Stonehell such a good example? So Stonehell's great for a couple of things. One, especially the beginning area is good vanilla. It's all basic monsters, bandits and stuff like that, and wolves, et cetera. Um, and then once you get into the, it's also um, the whole conceit of it. Uh, you know, if you haven't gotten it by now, after all the times we've talked about it, shame on you. So, spoiler alerts: the whole thing is a is a prison complex. It's a true dungeon, right? So, there's a reason for it to be hidden, and not a lot of people know about it. And it's an old prison that you know it's kind of like weird stuff has happened within. Um, but more to that is each level of it is um, separated into four areas that are designed to be pulled out and placed as individual dungeons of that appropriate challenge level anywhere and really anywhere else in the in the campaign world. So um, it's both modular and a work unto itself. And and most of it, I, I mean, really, I think almost all of it is good vanilla themed, even if there's some new monsters in there, they're they, they follow the same pattern as the monsters in the core rulebook. So. Um, they don't make you change everything about the way that species interact with each other in your campaign. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Jose? Yeah, actually I ran Stonehill Dungeon for, uh, Michael Curtis is a crazy mad wizard genius. I ran Stonehill Dungeon for a very long time. I actually met, uh, one Jason Hobbs there. He played in my original <laughs> Stonehill many, many years ago. I take back all the nice things I've said about Stonehill. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and as you mentioned, it's a prison. It's a prison colony, and that explains why the dungeon is there. And that also keeps any kind of weird monsters you find are explained, and they're all self-contained in that dungeon. They don't. It's they, he's made no conceits to change the world around that dungeon, so you can really drop it in anywhere. And uh, he did a really wonderful job with each level of the dungeon, as you mentioned, making uh, four one-page quadrants so that you can peel each of those out and use them separately as a product. So it's, it's super usable. It's very uh, easy to drop in and use anywhere. It's, it's a great, it's a great product. 
other yeah, thing people... about it is it's really um oh, sorry go ahead Ops. I was just going to say the modularity, I think, is what people talk about, and everyone knows the stuff in there. They don't have to do anything special for it, but it still has its own interesting aspects. So, yeah, go ahead, Eric. The other thing is he had a pretty good design with each level being where there would be an overview of the level, like kind of what's going on in general. Um, But then each of the quadrants had, I don't know if it's quite a lay flat play out always or a, a a, a lay flat layout design, um, but close to it where the map and the keys, the pretty short to the point OSR style descriptions of the rooms were, were right near what you were playing. And each quadrant was themed. So there was like the quiet halls, which was undead themed. There was one of the le- least popular ones I think was Kobold corners where the Kobold market was. And so you had each quadrant with a theme, so it makes it even easier to pull out. You could find a themed quadrant that fits whatever you're trying to do in your campaign. Yeah, it's it's uh, we're talking about innovative layout that people are still trying to copy today with new OSR products. Uh, just with that ease of use and um, usability by the GM, and not just you know reading you know, double columned layout like the old days where it kills our eyes. But all right. So enough. Uh, oh, I guess not. Go ahead, Eric. I was going to say the the way that he laid out Stonehill was one of the biggest influences for, for the, the book that I'm putting together. That's a table ready uh, OSR sandbox uh, book. And it was, it was basically that the ideas that he laid out with the synopsis ahead of time and then, each individual section being able to be opened up and run like at a table with lim- limited preparation is really one of the keys to a usable product. Yeah. And I think uh, the majority of the GMs out there would all agree with that. Um, the one page dungeons I think are invaluable. Uh, one Michael Shorten, super wonderful guy that I met uh, had an awesome thing, but I agree with this comment that you have here that eventually that did turn into kind of an art competition and stopped being as usable uh, to drop in. Cause we've said that cr- they tried to do a lot of creative things with it as well. What do you think about that, Jose? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, when you read through them, a lot of the, the earlier ones uh, it was almost, the map was almost inconsequential. Most of the time it was, it was the description of each area and the way you could do it. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people felt like they had to, uh, uh, innovate every time. So the things became more and more complicated and obtuse. So I, I, uh, I like the product to look at, but I, I've never used much of it in a game, to be honest. That first year was great when they actually, everyone followed, he, uh, Michael created the format with basically the map was in the upper left corner, uh, quarter of the, of the page. And then to the right was like, wandering monsters and any other notes. And then, and then the bottom half of the page was just the room descriptions. And the first year, almost everyone followed that format and it was, it was really usable. Um, You could just like pick those up and be like, okay, I could put this in somewhere. And then after that, it kind of started changing. And, and as an interesting side note that uh, had nothing to do with the order we talked about these, but for a time, both Michael Curtis, Mike Shorten and myself and somebody else were playing, um, and you'll get a kick out of this, Jose. Lord of the Rings online together. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, they twisted my arm into playing that 
nonsense based on bad underlying fiction. For those of you who do not know, Eric Hoffman <laughs> is the country's preeminent fan of J.R.R. Tolkien yeah, and the Lord really of the Rings. I'm really a Tolkien scholar, emeritus, yeah. I think. It would, yeah. yeah, you should have inherited the Empire. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I've never read the books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, we didn't write this on here, but that reminds me, have you guys seen The Five Room Dungeon by uh, John Four? Yeah, that's great. And and what's interesting is if you look back, I noticed um, he wrote that a few years ago, and it's really oh, yeah. cool. Um, it was like around the 3.0 era, I remember, that it was that I read it, which was also kind of the beginning of the OSR. So it might have been – I was back and forth in that time period. But um, I went back, and if you look at the sample adventure, the Haunted Keep in, in Moldvay, it, it's a five-room five dungeon format. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. What do you think? Jose, have you heard of it or no? I've heard of it. Um, I'm not too familiar with it, but uh, I'm a big fan anyways. Yeah, yeah. roleplayingtips.com <laughs> is uh, <laughs> the John 4. Anyway, uh, what else we got here? It looks like uh, Simon Forster's Book of Layers, which I don't even know what they're up to now. Five, maybe? Yeah, I think I, I think I have four of them. I, I have to look at see if there's a fifth one I haven't gotten, but they're great. Um, so these are great... Uh, drop-ins i think the first one was like whatever it was 26 monsters and it was you know if you roll if you roll an old school chart so you're gonna you might run into a harpy lair in the woods right um well how is that any more interesting than just fight a bunch of harpies um and this book answers that so it gives you really a short like one a5 page right so it's very small mm -hmm. but it's the layer of that monster if you roll it on the wandering chart and it's fantastic resource because you just have to keep that you don't have to place it you just wait for that thing to come up you roll a monster layer on your random encounter table and you can go grab that and it's it's immediately ready and again it's using core monsters i, I forget does it's I forget if they use axe or swords and wizardry as a basis but it's kind of basic monsters that every fantasy um campaign has or could have and and it's ready to go yeah it's it's wonderful i've used the book of layers many times just it, at a con if i wanted to pick a few of them string them together and just run that as a con game so to be able to do it into your hex crawl would be uh simplicity in itself jose anything to add yeah, I can't believe what I'm listening to. Book of Layers and Book of Layers 2 is copyright TSR, and I can't believe that Autark and Simon <laughs> Forster would just steal it like that. So I, I won't use that product ever because I'm a TSR uh, adherent forever. Awesome. Uh, I'm definitely not talking about Castellan's Corner blog because that's one of the dumbest names in the OSR oh, that was blog. fantastic. I, I mean, I, the guy was a genius. Just, And I heard he's handsome, too. <laughs> but uh, I am happy to talk about Greg Gillespie's products. Uh, we got you only put two of them here and here. You must not have liked the third one, Eric. You want to talk about them? I don't. Is the third one even out? I don't know I if I have so. the third one. Highfell. Oh, yeah, I do have that. Uh, well, th well, no, that one's not in here because it doesn't really fit, right? It's not really good. It's like floating castles, so it's not as apropos, I don't think, as his first two works. Agreed. So the first, so Barrow Maze was part of it was good. So all of the barrows are fantastic for dropping into sandboxes. Mm -hmm. They can exist anywhere. Um, it, it they don't link together. There's no story. It's just an ancient burial site. No explanation needed. They're great little you know, small dungeons, really, some of them, or even one-room encounters um, that are good for half a night's gaming. If you had two of those, the characters ran it. And I've never met a party that passed up a barrow. Um, 
so you know they're going to go in. Uh, it's it's well written, good good vanilla um, uh, adventure, and uh, the the actual Barrow Maze itself is a little bit harder um, to drop into a campaign, but the Barrows are are great, and there's a lot of them. I think a hundred or something. Yeah, I think there's eighty three, or it's a crazy number. Plenty, and there and he's got Barrow creation rules too in there for adding on to it. That That's right. Kind of explains how he does it. Yeah, so that, that, that's great. And then uh, in the second product, the uh, Forbidden Caverns of RKI, uh, I don't know. I asked him how to pronounce it one time and I forget. Uh, but <laughs> those are great because that product reminds me of a massive keep on the borderlands, Caves of Chaos. Um, and every one of those different uh, caves can be pulled out and placed anywhere else in a campaign world. And again, good vanilla kind of core fantasy uh, uh, monsters with interesting locales, interesting things going on in there that aren't going to spill out into your world. Um, and you could, I mean, you could take a hex map, map, populate those caverns around it and not even use any of the underlying um, campaign elements that he's created and use that work for an entire campaign. Nice. All right. So now we have some, uh, online dungeon generators jose this looks like something you probably talked about yeah and just uh, i want to take an honorable mention for uh, a product that could provide good vanilla and that's basically all the different uh supplements that come out for the basic fantasy role-playing game uh basic fantasy role-playing game is is, has been out for a long time and they put out supplements uh uh they've got the morgans for it campaign they've got all these different uh uh, things and you can get them really cheaply on Amazon and other places, and and they provide. It's a very simple, clean layout, and it's very easy to use, and it's very vanilla. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, they're great. Forgot about them. I felt bad because I, I have a whole shelf full of stuff, and I did spend some time looking through of my. I, I have a shelf to the left of my game of my little of my computer where I do most of my gaming, and those are all the the books that I are most likely to refer to and all the products we talked about are on that shelf um, because they're so usable in the, in the kind of games that I like to run. And I think I've mentioned it before, but I, if you look over there I'm pointing, you won't see it uh, because this is a podcast, but I have a <laughs> shelf as well. And basically it's my OSR shelf and anything that's not on that shelf is not OSR. So if you ever have a question about what OSR, if your product is OSR, just send me an email. I'll check the shelf. <laughs> And if it's on there, then you're good. Otherwise, your product's not OSR. So that's right. I figured, I figured I'd just mention that because a lot of people ask. Oh, and then uh, 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 go ahead. Oh, you I, were, we were about to talk about online dungeon generators. No, I'm going back to Castellan's corner blog because I am not going to allow you to skip over my baby, my religiously updated blog that I spend oh. so much of my time in. Um, but, but no, I haven't updated it in years, but, and it's no longer what it was, but, uh, at, there was a time in the OSR, my point about all that wasn't, wasn't plugging a blog that I'd never update anymore, but, um, there was a time when people did that on blogs, kind of the one page dungeon era. Um, and I got started doing that. I got started writing OSR stuff was, um, taking maps, uh, that Dyson published and putting them up on the, um, or or, write, or copying his style uh, and putting them up and populating them. And they were very much in this vein of, of, uh, of, of a small to medium-sized dungeon, pretty much self-encapsulated. And uh, the idea was that I could pull these off and run them 
uh, whenever. And I, it was just like me kind of, you know, getting out my writing chops, but there's a lot of other blogs out there that have done similar stuff. So it's much harder to go look because there's really not many blogs dedicated to that. It's just people in the OSR blogosphere have done that. And um, so that kind of stuff is out there too. It's a little harder to find, but um, but could be worth the worth the effort. We get it. We get it. We get it. Everyone, please go visit the Castellan's Corner blog. <laughs> We're going to be looking at the view counts, and if they don't go up, there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> yes, it'll be six years before we do another hex talk. That's right. <laughs> Uh, all right. So do you want to talk about online dungeon generators now, Jose? Yeah, online dungeon generators. One more thing about Castellan's Corner. <laughs> <laughs> WWW. Uh, no. Yeah, so online dungeon generators are very, I mean, nowadays you can go and there's dozens of them available. There's uh, generators out there to uh, generate dungeon maps, overland maps caves uh you can generate encounters and we're just going to cover a few of them one of the big ones that i think a lot of people know about is wizard dawn uh, if you go look out there he's got he's got generators for pretty much any of the osr rule sets i think he's got a star frontiers generator he's got a lot of crazy generators out there uh, he can generate dungeons settlements treasure monster encounters you name it he's got a generator there so it's a really really interesting tool where you can go and uh, basically create a, an evening or a week's worth of uh, gameable material with just a few clicks. You guys Have you guys ever used it? Yes, I've used Wizard Dawn back in the day. I probably use Donjon more than anything else because it has... I've started campaigns with that, but I mean, I feel like we're going off on the rails a little bit. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I've used them, and I... I uh, both of those and, and others, I've always... Um, always keep an eye out for them because I'm waiting for them to be good enough to be usable. And, and what I find is that they always require just enough more work that I can't. To me, the idea is like, I would love one of those that I could actually generate and then immediately like, like, Oh my God, the game's starting in five minutes. Boom, go. Um, and I always seems like <laughs> I have to, uh, I have to take it and, uh, and do work to it. And that's an interesting that you mentioned that because Dungeon is specific. It's another tool you can go out there and it really, its entire purpose is just to create high res dungeon maps for virtual tabletop gaming. So it'll create the map for you, but it doesn't include a lot of the gameable material like a, another product, which is, I don't know how to say it. It's a W-A-T-A-B-O-U, Watabu. Um, but it's a one page dungeon generator, but it also generates the key descriptions and it's got a nice, clean look. Uh, the The map comes out really nicely, and the information is there. And I think it's probably most of them key towards BX slash Labyrinth Lord, and I think that one does too. Uh, that one I have not heard of or used before, so I'd have to check that out. Maybe it's a little bit closer to the kind of the problem is um, I have with the dungeon generators is um, they lack kind of that intentional design element that a that a creator would put into it, and so. You get the dungeon, and you get the content filled with it, but you don't get that good vanilla, which is more than just vanilla monsters, right? It's that's not the that's the vanilla part. The good part is that it's a really tightly put together encounter area, right? Either yeah. either it thematically makes sense, or it's interesting, or there's there's some other stuff going on there that's fun for the players to uncover. And the dungeon generators never give you that part. 
And and that's exactly the big problem is they do, they have that, they look generated. They feel like they were randomized. I will say Wizardon is one of the only ones that I've seen that allows you to apply a bit of a themable element to it so that you get a more, um, you can create a dungeon that has a bit of a theme and you can customize a bit like names and things like that and monster ranges. But again, like you said, at that point, it's becoming a lot more work. You're setting up the parameters and then you're, you know, generating and regenerating until you get exactly what you want. And at that point, you might be able to just create yourself. Doesn't Dungeon do that too? I, it, I, it might, yeah. Where you can like pick a theme like Undead or I think it, maybe not. I It's been a while since I played with those, but you could pick a theme of... Um, Maybe it was Wizard Dawn, but it was you could you could do that. It gave you it was a little bit. It was it was definitely a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, so I mean that there are definitely uh, if you're trying to uh, populate your uh, sandbox, uh, online dungeon generators can definitely at least get you started in the right direction or give you something to use in a pinch when you need an evening's worth of gaming at least. Yeah. Lastly, let's wrap up this segment with uh, um, Pickpocket Presses and uh, Adventure Frameworks. He's got a patron. You you can get them on. I don't know. They're a dollar maybe on um, drive through, or you could buy his first book, which is Adventure Frameworks Volume One. And there's about fifty of them in there. Um, not all of them are going to be probably perfect for everything, and it's not for necessarily uh, OSR statistics it's for low fantasy gaming which is a little closer to say fifth edition or something like that but similar enough that you can easily port them in i know that the mysterious cody maza owns every single one and swears by them even though there are no rock nados cody maza is the only actual recognized level 14 dungeon master that i know of in the country right now yeah <laughs> barrel lord that's right. What? The, what's not recognized? What's it called? Accredited. He's accredited. <laughs> He's he is accredited. <laughs> he is accredited. And licensed. He's licensed. We don't bonded, know by which. Bonded too, I hear. Licensed and bonded. <laughs> that might have been bondage, but. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk about this product that Eric referred to earlier in the show. Give us a give us a boilerplate, Eric. What's going on with this thing? Yeah. So before we started the hex talk, right? This whole the idea and the concept's been tumbling around my head for years and years and years all the time i was writing the other stuff i was thinking wouldn't it be cool if and uh and it looks like we might actually complete doing this now so i'm working with paul wolf at mystic bull games uh and we're putting together a, a product we're calling uh working title grains of adventure um uh osr uh or sandbox ready locales for your osr campaign or something to that effect and um so we've gotten almost all the writing done, including uh, we brought in some of our friends, some of whom we've mentioned today, um, to do some of the writing and submit locations. Mike Curtis, uh, Gabor Lux, Edwin Nagy um, are, are all on the uh, on the list uh, and have submitted um, different locales. And so the idea is it's going to be if you read a lot of these books, all the fluff comes first, like the dookie of such and such with this and that. And you got to read through all that to get to the adventure, which is the last four pages or something like that. Well, in this, all the adventures up front, right? You open the, the book up and immediately you've got locales to start playing. They're table ready. Uh, the layout is, our intention is to have it be lay flat. So the map's on one page, everything you need to run it is on the other page. And then the more fluff stuff that you only need to refer to at the beginning or end of the adventure is, is on the pages on either side of that. Um, it's gonna have anywhere from eight to 10 different locales. 
And then in the back of the book, they'll all be loosely uh, connected together um, if you wanted to run them as a single campaign. There'll be plots and hooks that aren't integral at all to the running of the adventure or the locale, but can link it to other locales uh, or not. You just leave it out. No problem. So that's the idea. Um, and uh, we're you know, going to do that at some point. No promises on game. I've only been working on it for four years. So um, we've got we've got a little bit more development now. Just kidding. We're uh, we've got art. <laughs> Peter Mullen did the cover. Uh, we've got some other people lined up who have uh, committed to work on the interior art. So it's kind of a not a who's who. Right. But but a who's a couple of who's from the OSR uh, are, are involved in it. Sounds like Susie who made it. And that's what I'm most interested in. Oh, Cindy Lou is what I meant to say. Cindy Lou. Who. I knew what you meant. I didn't I... even get the joke right. <laughs> well, Damn is that it! A surprise to you? No, no. That's <laughs> that's part of the joke. Is that I always do it wrong? All right. So uh, that sounds uh, pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Who's doing cartography? So so we've asked I, a couple of people. I we we have one from Dyson. I don't know if he's going to be able to do any others because it's a product that we collaborated on previously and got his permission to use. Um, I'm not sure who else is lined up. Paul's kind of tracking that. I know we did get some, uh, yeah, I don't want to commit any more than that. Other than Mullen for the cover, which we already have. Um, I'm not sure about the cartography or the art. It's an amazing cover. It's beautiful. It is pretty sweet. Um, it's been hanging on my wall for over a year now. And it, the idea was it was supposed to give me the, uh, the, um, the motivation to, to push the product forward. But both Paul and I took these jobs where we were traveling to Europe. Of, like he was in France and I was in Germany every, like every other week of last year. So <laughs> we, we didn't get a lot of opportunity to, to push this ball forward. But, uh, you know, hey, quarantine's great for writing OSR books. That's all I can say. Nice. We do see that Edwin Nagy, our good friend, the Professor Nags, is uh, on the uh, author roster. So that's pretty exciting. All right. Eric, if someone wanted to crawl up your hex and talk with you, how would they do it? I I, I don't even Castellan's corner blocks. <laughs> Go there and leave a comment. I'll I'll get around to it. I that's it. That's it. <laughs> no other way. I Google is plus is dead. I don't look at anything else anymore. So yeah. I heard that Discord was your favorite new application. <laughs> yeah, I spent all my time there. Yeah, it's if if I'm not on Discord, I'm at my vegan bicycle shop. <laughs> Jose, what about the panhandle? How would we get in, how would we get in contact with you? I'm pretty much done with the internet. I'm going back to bulletin board systems. So I, I you can dial up to my bulletin board system and you can uh, leave me a message on Fidonet and I'll uh, I'll be sure to get back to you. If you leave your address, I'll just I'll just mail you a reply. That's probably the easiest way. Uh I'd tell you all to go to the Hextalk Twitter, but I know none of these jags pay attention to it. We have a Twitter? Are you serious? I'll, I'll see it if you go to the Hex Talk Twitter for sure. Oh, I didn't even know we had a, a Twitter. Yeah, we have a Hex Talk Twitter. We also have a, a MeWe that is full of Russian babes that are looking for American husbands. So, That's right. What is, is MeWe again? I forget what MeWe is. <laughs> Hobbs, you have enough social media drama for all three of us put together. <laughs> so I don't need to participate. If you want to get in touch with me, just go to at OSRN Hobbs on the Twitters. <laughs> or you can send me an email at Hobbs at Hobbs and Friends, uh, not Jose at Hextalk. No. Or you can go to the Audio Dungeon Discord that Jose is the mad uh, scientist behind, even though he never goes there either. You know, we spent uh, all this again, time every episode talking about, has anyone tried to reach us ever? 
<laughs> Again, if you're going to the Audio Dungeon Discord, the uh, accredited level 14 Dungeon Master Cody Maz will be your man. But I'm there sometimes as well. <laughs> All right. So I am Jason Hobbs, and uh, I'm signing off. You guys want to give a goodbye? Eric? Goodbye. <laughs> Jose. <laughs> and I'll... This podcast is a member of the Audio Dungeon Podcast Network. For more podcasts, visit audiodungeon.com.